I'm Kate Northrup. And I'm Mike Watts. And we're partners in life, love, and business. Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show, where we share insights and interviews on entrepreneurship, relationships, parenting, self-actualization, and making a life, not just a living. Hi, welcome to the Kate and Mike Show. This This is is Kate. Mike. (laughs) This is Mike, Kate. So we have an episode that is super fun. Today, we are interviewing a friend who's been part of my life for a really long time, Heather Graham. She's an actor and newly a director and screenwriter and also producer. So Heather and I met at a class in New York City and we formed this goddess group that we would get together with some other friends in New York and do rituals and do little spells. And Moby was part of that group as well. He was an honorary goddess. We called ourselves the Witches of Norton. I was able to take part in it twice, Did you I believe. Come? You came? Yeah. yeah, once or twice. Yeah. And she is a really wacky, fun, amazing friend. And she has her first directorial debut. She wrote, starred in, and directed the film Half Magic, which is releasing in three days on February 23rd. It's an online release, so you can stream it in your home. And then it's a theater release in 10 cities. And this movie is about a group of women getting together and making wishes and doing spells. So it's actually based on this group we had when we were living in New York. And it's a beautiful movie about women's empowerment and creating the life that you desire and standing up for yourself. Yeah, it was great to have a conversation with her after, you know, we talked a little bit about what it was like to do this because we started with the reading of this screenplay at your mom's or at Kate's mom, your mom, your, your listener, you, the listener, we stayed at your mom's house <laughs> at Kate's mom's house couple at, Christmas around Christmas, ago. a couple Christmases ago. And then it became a reality that she wanted to bring this to the market. And so it was cool to hear her experience of doing through that journey. And then what that was like a little bit to raise funds to be able to do that. Cause in the movie industry, is pretty complicated. So we talked briefly about that and just what her experience has been from going into, you know, being in movies like Boogie Nights and Bowfinger, Austin Powers, Hangover, et cetera. And now what that looks like transitioning to a career now, you know, as a now a director and a screenwriter and how timely this film was about, you know, it was because it does, it shares Heather's, it's really a journey of Heather's life. And experiences. Yes, it's quite it's quite autobiographical. Yeah, and so it's quite going through her life, and then she's experienced you know many points of harassment during her career as an actor in Hollywood, and then just from the experience of writing a like a movie about women and their ex- and experience in life and what that's like and how she's been rejected so many times because people say movies about women don't sell, which is changing. Yeah, she talked about. The Harvey Weinstein scandal and talked about what it's like being a woman in Hollywood and where we're at in this particular moment in history with women in leadership. And it was a super fun conversation. So it was cool. Enjoy the episode. And then the movie's available in 10 theaters, I believe. So just check your local listings. It might be coming out there. I think it's 10. It might be some more. And then it'll also in all the streaming platforms. You can just rent it on iTunes or purchase it on iTunes or I think that's the best place to probably on start. On February 23rd. Yep. And please spread the message on social media as well. So if you like the movie, 
Instagram about it, tweet about it, Facebook about it, share, share, yeah. share, share, share. Because that's the biggest part. Like as individual business owners that we are here and you have a situation in this movie, it's an indie film. And we talk about what that's like versus producing big studio blockbusters like the superhero movies. Let's like take. how a lot of the costumes were just closed from the actor's wardrobe closet or the furniture from Heather's house that was used in the movie. We need help through this process. So it's really cool to like have someone that has been in massive blockbusters to go through and raise funding for her own film to be able to do this. And I really enjoyed it. It's a good time. It was a really funny. Yeah, it's really funny. And at the end of it, I was like, this this is a great little film. And it's a new story, too. Like It's a story that has not been told and it's a story that needs to be told. So so check it out. Enjoy the interview. Go see Half Magic or stream it in your home. And then share about it. Enjoy, Heather. All right. Welcome to the Kate and Mike show. This is Kate. This is Mike. Thank you for being here, Heather. So fun. I'm so happy I get to be on your podcast. It's so fun. I love having you. It's so fun. So your new movie, Half Magic, is really great. (laughs) And I want to know, this was your directorial debut, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you wrote the script. Yes. Is it the, is this the first screenplay you've ever written? Yes. So yes. what was what was it like moving from now and you also start in it but obviously moving up until the time that you started filming you were doing the behind the scenes. So what was it like for you to be behind the scenes all that with that initial stuff writing the screenplay planning the directing all that stuff when up until that point you've been on the other side of the camera? Well, Kate, you were there for some of the inspiration. <laughs> um, yeah, the movie's about these friends. They get together, these girlfriends, and they wish for things. And so you were there during some of the inspirational moments for wishing for things. And I think our wishes were powerful because I remember you wishing to get married and have kids. <laughs> and here we are, baby number two on the way. <laughs> and I think I was wishing to make a movie, you know? You so it, it works, you know? Yeah, so I was inspired by my friends, you guys being some of them. And I wrote the script. And the business aspect of raising the money was the hardest part. But the creative part of writing the script and directing the movie was really fun. I love that. <laughs> can I just, can you expand a little bit? Because I always find this fascinating. So just talk about a movie We'll get back to the writing of the script, yeah. but I just want to talk about how does the movie business kind yeah, of work? Because most of our right? audience won't know that. Right. So like- <laughs> I didn't. You're talking about raising money. You're talking about- So for example, we'll just kind of do a generic example. It's like, okay, so we have a script that you wrote right. and then you want to get it made and turned into a film. Okay. Well, so imagine this, you know, you want to write, say I want to write a female empowerment movie. And you're going to all these movie studios with all these sexual harassing guys. And you're like, do you want to green light my female empowerment movie? (laughs) Imagine that, right? You're not really going to the most receptive people a lot of the time. So you have to sort of work around the system. And we got private financing. I mean, to be honest, I think one of the people that we tried to sell the movie to was the Weinstein Company. (laughs) Oh, my God. God. Unbelievable. Well, and that's like basically the opening scene. Yeah is about like this the douchebag movie filmmaker guy who like won't do anything that's empowering to females so 
The timing of this movie is pretty amazing. I don't think you could have orchestrated that if you tried, right? Finally, people, I think, are open to hearing this stuff. I think in the past, if it came out, people might not have been as receptive as I think they would be right now. It's it's a very timely movie. It's a very timely movie. You know, for like 10 years, I tried to develop movies about women, female stories, that I was just going to act in that I developed as a producer and I hit a lot of roadblocks, like people saying, you know, I had a movie about a woman being insecure that no one would want to have sex with her. And I tried to sell it and they're like, no women feel this way. You know, people would say stuff like that. And I'd be like, well, I feel this way. And then I wanted to make a movie about the triangle factory fire of 1911. And people said to me, Oh, no one cares about women's stories and this budget's too big. And if you want to get a movie made right about a man, so I took like, all. Who, I guess you can't tell me who said that, but everyone, <laughs> everyone, it just doesn't make any sense. I won't go see a movie if I see that it's all men because I'm like that's going to be boring. This isn't. This is been going on. This isn't just about movies. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this is like this is about the patriarchy. <laughs> it's like okay, if you look at the Gina Davis Institute, which is a very cool institute, and they're actually supporting our premiere, which is so nice. But they do these scientific studies where they take every film that's made. And they get scientific data on, like, how many female roles are there to male roles? And I think as women, you know, it sticks out the exceptions. We'll think, oh, wow, well, there was the Hunger Games, and that was a female, you know, whatever, protagonist. But those are the exception. It's not the rule. And as an actress, like, it seems like every movie that comes out, and movies are are worse than TV. TV, I think there's more opportunities for women. But in movies, there's just dramatically more roles for men of all different ages and much less opportunity for women. And I think the statistic of female directors, it's around like 7.5% of 100% of directors. There's only like 7% women directors in the movie business. Wow. And look at you changing that statistic. (laughs) And like, how did this feel for you to direct the movie? Well, I basically took a lot of things that frustrated me in the writing and, you know, sexism, you know, relationships, my own bad choices in relationships, my own battles with self-esteem. And I just thought, how can I make this funny? So I really did it as kind of like a healing exercise to make myself laugh at my own struggles. (laughs) And it is really funny. Your sense of humor, it's pretty quirky. And I love the way that you incorporated like, you know, like, like adolescent humor a little bit into the movie and just like, it's kind of body and it's unexpected. I'm quirky. You know, like, yeah, it, you are quirky. I mean, I knew yeah. that about you. But it, it just shines right through in your writing. And, and I thought the acting and the casting was really great. Were you involved in the casting? Is that how that works? I was. I mean, when you are making a movie, you answer to your financier. And we were lucky. We had a great financier. But, you know, every casting decision is made with the approval of the financier. So I can't just say, okay, I want this person and that person. The financier has to say yes, because they won't make the movie usually unless you, you know, give them a certain amount of known names, you know? So the financier is the final say. Got it. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And our financier is this really awesome guy. His name's Bill Scheinberg. And his dad's name is Sid Scheinberg. And he was the head of Universal for like 30 years. And his mom is this total cool feminist named Lorraine Scheinberg. And they're just a cool family. And I'm lucky that he was so supportive of this subject matter. Can you tell us how, like, is there a story behind how you connected with him that you can tell? And if you can, it's okay. story because you lived through it with me. Thanks for being so supportive all those years. But yes, we found a financier. My best friend, Michael Nichols, who's also a writer-director, 
help me find these financiers. And we started to go into pre-production and about a certain part of the way through the pre-production, they revealed they didn't have the money. So we had to basically fold the production, which was incredibly stressful. And during that process, we met Bill Scheinberg and Bill Scheinberg said, you know, if you can get the rights back, you know, I'd be interested in making it. So then became the process of getting the rights back, which was also very stressful. But, you know, I would say that because of that delay, the timing happened so that the movie's coming out right now, which is a good thing. Because I think if it came out last year, you know, there wasn't this women's movement that's happening right now that feels like it's really got a lot of steam behind it. Yeah. And when did, what was the year that we first read the screenplay? So we have this house. When was that? It was, so we have this tradition of around the holidays, we read a screenplay that was 2012? Around my mom's kitchen table. And was it 2012? Was it 2012? That was a long time ago. That, 2013. Maybe it was 2013. 2013. So it takes a long time for movies to get made, huh? Well, I mean, in my case, yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, if you're at a 20th Century Fox and you're making a movie with Brad Pitt, you know, very likely you could get greenlit in like a month and then be shooting it and it's done in a year. But if you're trying to make a sort of unique story, counterculture about a woman dealing with sexism and her own feelings of shame about her sexuality, it's not a story that's being told that much. So people don't have a template like, oh, this is a successful genre, this will make money. And it falls into the category of a women's movie, which in the past was a negative. And this is considered an, in, this is an indie film. Is yeah, an indie yeah, film, yeah. Like an indie versus a studio film because it's not backed by a studio. Right. Okay. Right. So and then, so you're responsible for everything versus having like, you know, at a studio, just so I have clarity here, like at a studio, there's already people in place to say, okay, so we need this stage set up or we need this set up. So they already have basically, the people in place. Studio means like you have a lot more money basically and a lot and more resources. resources. Yeah. And you also have your own distribution company and, you know, you're part of a big machine that has a lot of money. On the other side, you know, you usually, there's like a lot of control. So, you know, they could tell you to change a lot of things. They, they like to control it. So as an independent, you have sometimes more freedom in, you know, the creativity part of it. In a studio, it would be even more strict who you cast. Like, it would be like only massive stars. You know, they wouldn't even allow you to cast someone that might be an unknown. Yeah. And you got to really make the film that you wanted to make because no one was telling you, oh, you have to change that line or whatever, right? I mean, yeah, obviously, I mean, the our financier would definitely give me his thoughts. But ultimately, at the end, he was pretty tough in the beginning casting phases. But as time went on, he really became supportive and just let me do what I wanted. So that was really cool. And also, you know, we, the budget is not as big as a studio movie. So for example, like I had the production designer come to my house and take a lot of my furniture and put it on the set. So when you're watching the movie, you might see pieces of my furniture. Yeah. I did recognize yeah. your furniture. I'm watching, I'm watching this movie. I'm like, this is, seems like a shot in But it's in great because house. the yeah. interior of your home in the movie is very much like reflective yeah. of what it looks like in your home. I know. I use my bedspread. It's yeah. like, it's very homespun, you know? And what did you guys do for wardrobe? Did you, were you able to get, well, I know your friend who's the designer, mm-hmm. I recognized her dresses. Michelle Jonas. Yeah. Michelle she Jonas. gave us a bunch of stuff, yeah. giving her a plug. And then a lot, we wore a lot of our own clothes. A bunch of designers gave us stuff. 
like Nicole Miller and Allison. Yeah. I recognize some of Nicole Miller as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I just wore like, I have some different reformation stuff. I don't know. I just, we wore a lot of our own clothes, sadly. I mean, some of the actors should have. Great. Yeah. I mean, we did have some wardrobe that we would buy for people, but a lot of people are also wearing their own clothes. Which is great. Because you know what? Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> It's real. It's real. I mean, right? It's not like it's like a movie where it's, it's all the story, you know, yeah. and, the, and the, the clothes are beautiful in it. So a lot of our listeners are writers, creatives. Mm-hmm. So what was it like? Do you have any tips on the writing process? And now I know you've written two screenplays or are there more? You know, I have written another screenplay, which we also read at your table, as you know, because you guys read it. Which is so great. (laughs) And now I have another idea, actually. It's about the medical profession, which I'm sort of, I'm in the midst of writing that. And I just optioned a cool book, too. Oh, cool. Um, But yeah, I guess I would say for people writing and creatives, it's just, just write. And like, as you wrote, when you wrote your book, you know, it's cool. You'd never written a book before, you just wrote it. And you got to seek out supportive. Greatest writing advice you could ever give. (laughs) Write it. Don't care. I actually, you know what? I went to these improv comedy classes. And I think in doing that, I learned that like, I can just be a stream of consciousness, say whatever comes to my head and edit it later. And then if you have some supportive people around you that, you know, say, oh, that's great. And what about this? And it's good to have supportive sounding boards. And at the end of the day, just make yourself do it and just don't worry if it's good or bad. Great. Hmm. And one of the things I just want to commend you for having, you know, read the screenplays and then I know you had asked us for feedback. You were so open to what do you think and what do you think might need to be changed? Like there's this phrase in the writing world to be willing to kill your darlings Uh and, and just like not be overly attached Mm -hmm. to the way that you did it the first time that like, that's not necessarily the best you know, way to phrase it or the best way to end the scene or whatever. And I just really want to acknowledge you for being so open in the creative process to just be like, well, here, I'm putting this out there and, you know, I'm open to hear what you think because you really, some people say that, but you can actually feel energetically that they're actually not. (laughs) (laughs) And you really weren't. It was super fun to talk about it. And to, I mean, I have no idea about the movie business, so, but it was fun to get feedback on a script. Script I've ever read. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's cool because, you know, you realize that people do want to help you. And if you're not getting your idea across, that's not good for you. And I remember I had an acting teacher and he said, you have to have the heart of a baby and the skin of a rhino. It's a process. So if maybe you didn't get it right the first time. And when you're editing and you ask people's advice, you go, okay, well, let me see if I can make it better. And you're just grateful that people are giving you their feedback. Yeah. The heart of a baby and the skin of a rhino. It's good life advice. Yeah. And then how was this for you during like the production of this? Because this is an indie film, right? And so it's not because you're doing pretty much everything, like asking for help, you know, during this. Because there's I think no- we had to ask a lot of favors of people, especially because we shot the movie in LA. So people are very savvy here. Like they know, oh, I can ask for a lot of money if you want to shoot at my house, you know? And they've done, you know, dealt with it before. So you really have to ask a lot of favors of people. And as a result, I mean, we got a lot of great, great stuff. We really lucked out. Was that hard for you or is asking for favors or for help? Is that come easily or? I think, you know what? It is hard, but then once you get in the swing, you're just like, okay, I'm just going to do this. Like for example, mm-hmm. Moby, right? Like our friend Moby gave oh, yeah. me a bunch of music, which was so it's beautiful. You don't even know how much that music would cost if he would be getting what he gets paid. And he just, 
he gave us that music for the movie and it was really generous and it, it really, you know, you do open yourself up to asking for help. And when people come through, it's just, it feels amazing. Yeah. Hmm. It's such an important life skill yeah. to be willing to ask. And it is, it's, I remember when my first book came out, you know, it was this, I don't know that it was similar to making a movie, but it was like my first thing that I'd ever written or done. So it was like, I just asked for all the favors. And I remember I got like an asking hangover. I was yeah. just like, Oh, like this is a lot of asking. It was, it was hard at first. But well, then meanwhile, it- Stephanie Beatrice in the, one of the stars of the movie, she, she listens to you. She's a fan of you guys. Yeah. She knows- Which one is she? She's the um, one who plays the unicorn girl. Oh my God. Yeah. She's genius. That like her physical comedy. And she subscribes to the you know, Oh my gosh. I love awesome. that. That's well, cool. You, hey, Stephanie. <laughs> I love that. She we have was... unicorns all over Penelope's bedroom. So she we're a big them. unicorn family. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are. That was like at the end of the movie where it was just like, Hilarious. wait, you're not into unicorns? Yeah, this isn't going to work. <laughs> it's going like, to be a deal breaker. This is a deal breaker. We've got to go. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. It was so hysterical so hysterical yeah she was she was really great I mean the whole thing I have to say like you know you never know right like from how something's gonna go when you read it to how the production will actually be and it was really fun Molly Shannon I know is amazing playing the wacky teacher Uh right I love that part so when you're when you're watching you guys listening the movie comes out February 23rd and it'll be in some in some theaters and then also simultaneous how does it work? Well, it's in 10 cities and it's also, you can buy it, stream it at home. It's available on like all different like iTunes on demand, you know, all your different providers that you can buy streaming movies. So how does it work to market a movie? Because we are in the marketing world and we've marketed books and courses and all various things, but I would imagine it's different. So, so how, like, are you so busy just doing a million different things? Well, there's like a marketing person for the movie and then there's publicity. So it's uh-huh. kind of two different things. But yes, I just basically am saying yes to everything that could possibly help the movie. Because, you know, I'd love to do this again. I feel like I love watching female writer directors tell their stories. It's been so fun and fulfilling. In some ways you have con- more control because you can say what you want. And the other ways you just have to surrender and the movie is just being made, you know, and you're just watching other people do their jobs. And that's really cool too. So yeah, I'm just saying yes to every, all the publicity opportunities. And luckily people are, we're getting a lot of press, which is so lucky. Well, it's a pretty unusual story. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's the thing. It's like a bunch of women getting together, doing spells to cast their wishes into the universe. And then like being empowered and stopping dating jerks. I mean, we need stories like this. (laughs) It's like real life. Yeah. And then what is the difference? Cause you said, you just said marketing publicity. What are the, what's the difference? Well, marketing is probably geared like it's, you know, getting, when you open up your TV and you're looking at movies to buy, it's trying to get a good slot for that, getting the poster, getting a trailer, you know, it's similar and they help each other. And publicity is more just, it's like the things that I'm doing to, you know, go out there. And, and we're trying to get people, you know, with social media followings to help us. And, you know, we're different just everyone, you know, word of mouth as much as we can. And different women's groups, we're hoping that they can get on board. Like Women in Film is having a screening of the movie next week, which is pretty fun in LA. That's great. That's so great. So this is considered publicity. 
or yeah. is this marketing? Like this conversation right I now. Mean, to be honest, you guys probably know more about marketing than me. <laughs> you guys are great at it. <laughs> but um, I've never. But I've, we've never marketed a movie. We've never done publicity. Which, and we've also done, yeah, other than like pitching. Yeah, know, I guess for the that's book, what would I guess be. we definitely pitched stuff. But yeah. so in the film, there's a lot about manifesting mm-hmm. and, you know, speaking what you want. Mm-hmm. So. What are you doing around manifesting around this film? Like, are you using any of your witchy practices? Well, as you saw in the movie, and as you know from life, I do sometimes (laughs) light candles and make wishes. I just, it was my birthday, and I went out to the desert, and I went to these hot springs, and I took a rock, and I buried it in the sand, and I just wished that, like, people would watch this movie and feel inspired and feel empowered and just that it would make them feel good and inspired about their life and that it would word would spread and that it would be successful enough for me to do it again. Beautiful. <laughs> beautiful desire. In the, in the ground. I made a little wish. <laughs> I love that. And I know you've had a meditation practice also for many years. Yeah. How did you get into, cause I mean like the movie is, you know, obviously it's a comedy and some things are made up, but like there's, there's some reflections of your life in there. And I know you have a pretty strong spiritual practice. So can you tell us about your meditation practice and and how that started? Yeah, well, I do transcendental meditation. I started when I was 21 because I work with David Lynch and he does transcendental meditation and he suggested it. So I went to his TM teacher and I've just been doing it for the, you know, twice a day, 20 minutes, twice a day. So 40 minutes a day. Since then. Since you were 21. Yes. That's amazing. Wow. I didn't, I, I didn't know that. Wow. That's amazing. I'm very disciplined. I, I mean, people who know me well are just, they're surprised by how disciplined I am. You are. You are. You're very disciplined. You're, You're the best. best at taking care of yourself at anybody I've ever met. It's really amazing. It's hard to make it through this business, as you can see from these crazy, you know, you got to have some kind of practice to get you through it. And then yeah, do you do it morning and night, like as soon as you wake up and before you go to bed or... Sometimes. I mean, a lot of times I'll do them both in the morning because it's kind of good to get it out of the way. It helps me wake up. Oh, wow. Will you just do 40? Does it count if it's 40 minutes in a row? I mean, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to spread it out. But yes, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) For Heather, it does count. Yes. (laughs) I don't know how it works. So I got to do the other 20 later, but it varies. And then even if you're on set, like you, because I know being on set is really far more intense. Yeah, I mean, one thing people don't really realize about being on set is that it can be very boring and there's a lot there's of so much downtime. Right. So it's like the moments that you're shooting are probably the smaller moments than it's the waiting around time, which is most of the time. So meditation is great for those moments because it helps keep you focused and relaxed and energized. Okay, so I have a question regarding, so you have a script, right? And then people go by lines. So how long did it take to shoot this film? We shot it in... Four weeks. Okay. But how much of the script do you have like memorized out of those four weeks? Like, do you memorize the lines for like tomorrow? Like, how does it work from that standpoint? more of a play that you're thinking where you'd have to learn the whole thing and know it all, the whole thing every day. Like with a movie, you're only shooting a small section. So let's say one day we shoot the female empowerment class scene. So we only do the lines from that small scene, which is only say two pages. So you really only need to know the lines for what you're shooting that day. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. But do you have to be a quick memorizer? Is that right? Is that a word? But like, is that something that you've developed over the years where it's just like, okay, I know I can, I know I'm able to memorize like three pages of stuff in a period of 15 minutes. So is that, how does like, 
usually as an actor, you know, you're not just waiting till the day to, to learn your lines. In advance, you figure out your character. Every line is a thought. You have to figure out, like, why is my character saying this? Like, what thoughts is... Why is she saying this? Where is this coming from? What is she all about? What are, what's her motivation? What are her intentions? And when you get into the psychology, then it's not that hard to remember the lines because you have to embody that person, basically. And when you write the lines, it's, it's right. not... You know, you wrote that. And like with my movie, it was kind of loose. Like there's a lot of comedians in it. So people would sometimes make stuff up. And it's not like, you know, there's nothing terrible that's going to happen if you say the line wrong. And I mean, I've worked with people before who can't remember their lines and they hold up cue cards, you know, like some older Really? You know, there's a famous story of Marlon Brando that he had the earplug in his ear and that someone would just read him his lines into the earplug. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. Wow. That's, that's, that's amazing. I guess, I mean, however it works, you know? Yeah, gotta... I guess so. So can we talk about being a woman in Hollywood right now and how things like, have you, what have you noticed, if anything? Well, obviously this movie is getting made, but what have you noticed aside from that, like now that everything's coming out about Weinstein and I'm sure many other things are happening, you wrote an op-ed piece and I'm just curious, like, how are things shifting, if at all? Well, these men are losing their jobs. So I think there is a change in the power structure where it's not acceptable to behave that way anymore. I mean, of course, there's still people that are like that. But I think that there's a feeling that the, the society is changing. And I know that a friend of mine who works in the TV business said that all of the really successful female directors have been booked for the next year. So I think that people want to be seen as female friendly. So they're making an effort to hire women more, it seems, than before from what my friend says. So if you're already established as a successful female director, I think those people are getting more jobs than usual. I love hearing that. You are sensing a shift. It's not just like for the media. Like, you know what I mean? I think that there is a shift. I mean, it's, it's early days. I mean, this only started happening in October. So maybe how many, October, November, so it's four months. That's so it. it's hard to tell the long lasting effects, but I do think that the balance of power has shifted where we're no longer just letting powerful men get away with really bad behavior, which is amazing. And I think women are more empowered. We're more empowered to tell our stories. And the more women that tell their stories, it, it's empowering more women to come forward. And every day there's like a new story about a new business titan who's falling off his perch, you know, because women are telling their stories. And I think that's really powerful. It is really powerful. Hmm. I mean, it's so much more fun to read the news. For you. <laughs> 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 I don't know, it's like Wynn or something is like, He's leaving his company because of, of like all these women that he intimidated and sexually harassed. We're 50% of the population, you know? It's like we are powerful if we, you know, speak up. Yeah. <laughs> I like that perspective. It's because like who's falling today, you know? And you're just like. Well, yeah, I mean, it's needed to happen for a long time. And I'm yeah. just so grateful it's happening, you know, at this particular time when we're in a position to speak up about it and be sharing about it and you know before our daughters are adults I mean that's what I'm of course I'm thinking about that really because you have two daughters <laughs> yeah soon soon to have two daughters. one and a half no <laughs> one and a half yeah and Penelope loves Auntie Heather oh <laughs> she really does okay so you've got um I'm also curious just in the acting world one of the things that I've noticed is that like you don't really know your schedule ahead of time. 
mm-hmm. because things happen. See, it seems to happen kind of last minute, <laughs> right? So like, I want to hear about your lifestyle and how knowing that like you could get called for a job next week or whatever, I guess probably your meditation practice helps a lot with that. But like, what's that like knowing that your life could change at any minute? Yeah. You can't plan something like six months from now and say, okay, six months from now, I'm going to take this vacation. I'm going to put down all this money that I will lose if I can't go because jobs come up. Like you could get a job and it could be like in a week, we want you to go to Africa for six months. So, I mean, it's, it's hard if you are in a relationship or you have kids, it's definitely like challenging, but it's also exciting because you get to travel the world for free. So it's sort of like there's pluses and negatives, but if you want to plan things in advance, it's not good for that. Is it different if you have like a TV show versus the film business? Because it's more, you know, like if it gets renewed for a season or continues, like, is it there? Cause there's definitely probably more of a structure there. Maybe. Yes. But even if you're in like a a successful TV show, like, you know, Stephanie's on that Brooklyn Brooklyn nine, nine. nine, Yeah. You know, you don't know if that gets picked up sometimes until like a month before. So even though you're like, Oh, I'm in a successful TV show and it's been nominated for awards. And like every day I go to work and it's been on the air for however many years, they don't really give you the pickup order until like pretty close to the time you start shooting. It's, it's surprisingly less secure than you would think. And, and you're always just at the mercy of ratings. So if suddenly the, the show's ratings go down, they could be canceling your show. So it's very, there's a lot of unpredictability and it's very, it's not a stable. That's why people probably tell their kids, like, don't be actors. <laughs> yeah. And has that changed for you being in the business for a while? Like, was it more stressful in the beginning and now you're just, you know, it's part of the deal. And so you're more accustomed to it. I think when you're younger and you don't know if you're going to be able to support yourself, it is scary. I mean, luckily I started making money when I was a teenager living with my parents. So that was very lucky. And then I guess I've just always made enough money where I could you know, I could, I have a cushion. I can live during the times that I'm not working and, you, you know, play smart with money too. Yeah. Yes. I'm a practice. Not everyone's smart with money. No, really. I mean, yeah. a lot of people, right? Like they start making money when they're a teenager living with their parents, they blow it all. And then there you go. I know. I'm super lucky that I, I'm a, like a little saver, you know, I'm pretty good with investing and real estate and yeah. Cause you, you need to have the ability to wait out those moments when you're not getting a job. It's really like in any industry, yeah. whether it's, yeah. you know, right. I mean, that's something that we talk about a lot is like financial consciousness and sort of like slow and steady and paying attention. And, you know, you see like, I see Logan Paul or something, right? Like this young kid making millions. And, and I did, it's so funny because before the whole scandal of his suicide video came out, I said to Mike, literally the day before yeah. I was like, that kid better be investing well. Because I just was like, it's, you know, you're so, you give these young kids so much money and then, you know, and then it's not, they're not necessarily smart with it. So I just want to say like, I don't think you're not, yes, of course you've been blessed, but like, you've also been smart. Well, it's like what you teach. Don't spend more than you earn. <laughs> there you go. That's another, these are the, the tips from Heather Graham are just right. And don't spend more than you make. And I honestly think if you did those two things, like you're good to go. Okay. Now, what about, now we haven't touched on the area of relationships and you talk a lot about that in the film. So what have you learned over the years about relationships, like romantic relationships that you would want to pass along like to our daughters? 
for example? <laughs> well, I think sometimes I would choose a guy who was a project and think, oh, let me help this guy. He just needs a little help and he's got all this potential, you know? And I think I show that in my movie of, you know, somebody who does a lot of drugs and you just think, oh, just get him to stop doing drugs. And like, it's, it's love, you know? All I need to do is just get him to stop doing drugs. <laughs> And, um, it's kind of like the writing's on the wall. Like, I have a joke about it in the movie where, like, the writing is literally on oh the wall. Oh, my God. It's so true. It's hysterical. I love like, that part. It was, like, the third or fourth scene of, like, <laughs> you, so you know, funny. we won't give it away. But I go back. I'm like, why is she? She keeps going back. Like, what is she doing? You it's know? like ignoring red flags. I think guys are more logical. Maybe a guy will go. But I think women... I think a lot of women, not all women, obviously, Kate, you have great taste in men, but I think- I just kissed my fair share of frogs. (laughs) (laughs) But I think some women, especially I think when we're younger, we kind of go after like a bad boy. We can find the bad boy guy appealing until we realize like that guy is not that great, a good guy. Like, why am I wasting my time with this work? Yeah. Yeah. It's easier when you look at your friends and you go, why is this my friend obsessed with this guy who's not on her level, you know? That's so true. It is yeah. so much easier when you look at your friends and you're like, what's wrong with you? Don't date him. But then when it comes to yourself, it's like, oh, but... He's fine. I can get him to stop doing drugs. It's fine. Like no, you pick you someone who has like a very obvious problem and then just think, I'm just going to cure this problem and then we're going to be so happy, you know? And instead of just thinking you probably can't cure the problem and just take it or leave it. You know, that's what I've learned in life. You can't usually cure the problem. In fact, almost never. (laughs) Yeah. When the problem's with someone else. Right. If it's with yourself, yeah, you have a lot more control. Yeah. Some control. You have some control. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, okay. So your wish is for this movie to inspire people, to empower people and to be successful so that you can keep doing this. What other kind of stories do you want to tell? I like telling stories of healing or telling the truth about something that people don't really want to talk about. For me, I grew up religious. So my family, I remember being told as a child, you're going to go to hell if you have premarital sex. And I feel like that's not a very happy thing to tell a kid. You know, it's, I think that that's, a bad way to teach a kid about sexuality. And I feel like my journey in my life was to see that my sexuality is spiritual and something that I can feel good about that's not shameful or fearful. And I don't see that being told in in any movies from a female point of view. I don't think I've ever seen a movie other than yours. (laughs) Well, I've never heard what you just said to just be like, you know, that's not a good piece of advice to teach. Like, I've just never thought about that. Like, it didn't make any sense to me. It's a very fear-based way of thinking. Yes. I mean, maybe what you should say is like, you know, your sexuality is this very valuable thing and you want to be careful with who you share it with, but that's a different way to say it than go, you're going to go to hell if you have premarital sex. And a lot of religions teach that. And I've talked about it in some different press junkets when I talked about writing the movie. And I remember I shared it with this guy. He said, oh, so you grew up Asian. <laughs> you know, like, I feel like different cultures can relate to this too. Just having a... You know, I mean, some people grow up with very open-minded parents, but I think if you grew up in a more strict, you know, this guy related and he was Asian and he just said, I've had a lot of shame and fear around my sexuality as well from what I was taught as a kid. Well, and I think too, like, regardless of what your parents told you, I mean, obviously that's the most important, but we do have this bizarre culture 
where it's like encourages women to be super sexy and provocative, but then at the same time shames us for doing so. So it's very confusing as a woman. You brought up exactly the point of one of the main things I was also trying to get across. Yes. It's that we're told like, oh, we're judging you on your looks and that's the most important thing about you as a woman. And, and you better be sexy or else we're going to judge you negatively. And we're told don't be too sexy because then you're a bimbo and that's terrible. So it's very confusing. Are we supposed to be sexy? Are we not supposed to be sexy? And what if, you know, and all of this is kind of people pleasing in a way, because it's like, well, how am I acceptable in society? Like, how is my sexuality good, but not too much? But it's like, what do I want? It's like, it's hard for us as people, as women, I'm sure men, you know, can relate on maybe the sexuality thing is different, but just when am I pleasing other people and what do I really want? And just separating from being a people pleasing person and saying, well, how do I want to express my sexuality and how do I want to dress and how do I feel good about my sexuality instead of like, well, what are other people going to think? Yeah. And how did you personally unravel that belief system growing up super religious, like how did you change those voices? Well, it's interesting because exactly what you said, I feel like, you know, as an actress, I really wanted to be successful. And I found that when I, I started off not doing any nudity and saying that I wouldn't do nudity. And I found that I wasn't getting the job, like big jobs. So when I did decide that I would do nudity, suddenly I was working a lot more And then I felt like I was seen as this, you know, and I grew up very sheltered. I was suddenly seen as like, oh, she's a sexual person because of the roles I was playing. And it's just interesting how that can be a positive and a negative. So I experienced it as an actress and just how people perceive you based on the roles you play is not always what your actual real personality is, which it's not, you know, of course, I'm not like a porn star, but when you play that kind of role, people see you as like, oh my God, she's so wild. And like, I did an interview with a journalist and she said, was talking about the scene where I do cocaine in that movie. And I told her like, I had never done cocaine before I did that scene. Like, I don't even do drugs, but people see you don't even drink. I don't drink or do drugs, but people eat sugar. (laughs) 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 Nothing. But it's funny, people, like, when you play those parts, sometimes people just think you're this wild, drug, you know, crazy, provocative person, you know? Who meditates twice a day, exactly. every day, since she was 21. <laughs> well, you know me, so it's different. Yeah. This woman was, like, convinced I was a drug addict. She's like, that scene in Boogie Nights was so real, and I bet you've done a lot of coke. How did you prepare for that? Like, how did you study to learn how to seem like a drug addict? <laughs> You know, this is so nerdy, but I really just read and asked a bunch of questions and like did a bunch of research. I mean, since then, I've tr- I have tried a few different kinds of drugs. Like I maybe tried cocaine three times in my life and I was like, no, thank you. And then never did it again. Like, like you said, I don't drink or do any drugs. But for that scene, I, I had never done any drugs. Prior to that. Yeah. Amazing. And is that kind of what you do when you're preparing for a role? So you ask questions of people and you read books that are similar to the role? Like, what do you do? You do research. Whatever the role is, you try to find somebody who knows about it and you do as much research as possible. You know, you read things, you meet people, just, you just get all the information you can. And then you have to look at it through the eyes of your character and you have to understand your character's motivations and intentions. And is that a specific like type of acting that you've studied or because I know nothing. I don't know anything about it. There's like different forms of acting, right? Isn't there like the method? I've heard method acting and... 
method acting is kind of like you personalize everything. So say you're doing oh. a scene where you somebody die, you know, dies. You know, there's a version of, of acting where it's like you just think about the story that you're telling and you lose yourself in that story. There's another version of acting where you take something from your own life where something terrible happened or someone died and you're reacting to something that's personally affected you. I don't know. There's so many ways of approaching it. I think everyone has their own mixture of techniques. Do you kind of mix those two or do you primarily do the one where you get lost in the character? I guess I mix the two. I mean, sometimes like comparing it to something that's can happen to has happened to you is a good way in, but, and then I try to make it all about the story and you, you have to like think as that person and not as you. So maybe that person's doing something totally different than what you would do. So a lot of it, you know, you think about what your motivations are and like why you're doing that. Yeah. And then for you, I mean, now this, I think it's different, or I mean, you could tell me, but like being an actor in a movie is different than actually <laughs> writing and directing the movie, right? So like, what does, for this movie, like, what does it mean that this was a quote unquote success? How would you know? Yeah. How would you if know? It, like, do you feel that you've already, it's already successful or is it like paying back the financier? Like, what does that look like for you? I mean, it's successful that it was made. It's successful that it was, it's coming out. Yes, yeah, success is definitely paying back the financier. You want to feel that the people who invested in your movie and put money into your movie got their money back plus something. So that proves that you can return an investment just like any business. You want to feel that people enjoyed it, hopefully. But, you know, to be honest, like, yeah, making the money back, making money for your investors, that is a good sign of success. That's awesome. So you've been in the acting world for since you were a teenager. And yeah. so you are like a, a successful working actor for a while. And yeah. so what do you like, is there anything that if you could go back and tell yourself when you got it started as a teenager or as a young woman that you would have done differently or that any advice that you would give yourself well, I think it's a message that's in my movie, which is self-love, you know? I think sometimes you look outside of yourself for approval when really you have to give it to yourself. And of course, it's great if you do something like you wrote your book and people loved it or you want people, to, I want people to enjoy the movie. But at the end of the day, it's the most important that you approve of yourself. I even do affirmations every day, like I approve of myself because, you know, you can't, Someone else's approval of you is never going to be as fulfilling as if you approve of yourself. And you can't fill up like an empty hole inside you with a job or other, you know, you have to just go, I love myself exactly as I am today, whether or not I achieve what I want to achieve. It's just, it's just as simple as that. But we keep thinking like, oh, if only I was, I don't know more successful, thinner, have this certain relationship, then I'll suddenly feel better. But really, it's only self-love that makes you feel better. Totally. Have you, so this is not what they taught in religious upbringing, my guess, right? Like, I mean, I or, feel like Catholic is a lot of flagellation. You know, were, were you raised Catholic? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, so was, was Mike. Okay, yeah. There's a lot of confession, you know, oh my God, yeah. if I don't go to confession, I'm going right. to go to hell. Like the priest is going to heal all my problems. But like, when did this kind of start for you? You know, cause the one you started TM when you were what, 21, I think you said, mm -hmm. you just met, like, why did that catch on for you? Like, why was it like, and then when did the affirmations kind of take over where you're like, Oh, I should start doing these. Cause that feels good. Or. 
I think I was in pain. So I was looking for a way to feel better. I think pain is a great motivator for growth and spiritual growth. And you just think, well, why not am I in pain? Like when I was 21, I was like all women. And, and I think I addressed this in my movie. I was scared of being fat, right? And of course, in scared of being fat, I wanted to eat like 10 candy bars a day, but then not eat any regular food. <laughs> I want to eat like a whole, right? Like I had the most unhealthy eating habits. All I wanted to do was eat sugar. I want to eat like a pint of ice cream and then just be like, okay, I don't want to have a regular meal. I'm just going to eat sugar and ice cream every day. So I found that like doing this meditation, it weaned me off of my really unhealthy eating habits. Hmm. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that that was like an issue for you in the past. Yeah. I used to be like a sugaraholic. Like I would just like, I would go to the store and buy like, you know, two Reese's peanut butter cups, two Kit Kats, two Twix, like a chocolate bar, go home and eat like eight chocolate bars. Wow. For dinner. And so it was meditation that really helped you to wean off that. Yeah. That and just like realizing, you know what? It's better to eat a healthy meal and have energy then feel like a sugar drug addict. Like you're on a high, you're on a low, you have no energy. It's like, why, why are you doing that? It's like, it's a, a 30 minutes of fun. Eating chocolate is not, you know, 23 and a half hours of feeling good. Cause you ate healthy food. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely like cost benefit analysis Yeah, for sure. And then how did you get started with your yoga practice? Cause that's something you're also really dedicated to. I think I just realized it helped me feel better. I'm a bit of a worrier and I think it gets me out of my head. Someone told me this great, they said, worrying is praying for something that you don't want to have happen. And then they said, if you worry, why pray? If you pray, why worry? So I feel for me, my brain likes to worry. So if I do yoga, I get out of my head and I get into my body and I feel like I, I have this feeling of trust and faith in life. And have you been doing that also since your early 20s or was that something that came along later? I think I started that when I was like 25, 26. Wow. Who are some of your favorite teachers? Well, when I first started, I went to Sean Korn, who's great. And yeah. then right now I like, I like Mia Togo. I like Rima Raboth. I like Vinnie Marino. There's so many great teachers. Yeah. That's hmm. great. Did you say, was it self-discipline? Is that what the term was used earlier? She is very disciplined. I know. <laughs> I, I, I just want to make sure I'm using the right term. Because that's really self-love in a way, mm -hmm. right? It's like treating your, you know, it's, you're very disciplined with your things that you're doing, right? Yeah. Like twice a day yoga. Like when did you realize like this is a smart way to live? I guess just um, when it makes you feel better. And yeah, it makes you feel better. And then it's, be, it's just become like it's become a, a routine every day now, right? So it's not because a lot of people, you know, myself included in this conversation, like, I'll start things for a couple weeks or a couple months and then stop. And then it's like, why did I stop? You know, and then you'll end up going back. So was it something like, has that happened to you where you're like kind of a roller coaster ride and then you hit like, okay, 10 years ago now it's like fully dedicated and it makes me feel better. I mean, I think for yoga, it's like, for me, that's spiritual. It's like some people pray or they want to go to church. For me, it's like doing yoga I just feel so happy. It's, I don't feel like I have to force myself to do yoga. Some like other exercise I do, I do have to force myself to do, but for me, yoga is fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I guess like living the lifestyle of an actor. Cause you could be, okay, well I'm gonna have to go to Africa for six weeks starting tomorrow or six months starting tomorrow. Like 
you have to be self-disciplined with your habits when you're on set or at a different location because you can get yeah. really But again, you know, I don't have kids. So I think, you right. know, you throw a kid in the mix, it makes it a lot harder. I mean, because you've got to... That's the word yeah. on the street. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm disciplined with no kid. If I had a kid, I'm not sure. You but know. I, you know what, actually, I will say that I was not so disciplined when I didn't have kids because I had no reason to be. And now I'm super disciplined with a kid because my bandwidth for my health and for my sanity is so much more narrow. So I actually think it's pretty impressive to be so disciplined without a kid because you have so much freedom to basically do whatever, obviously when you're not on set, then you have no freedom to do whatever. But, um, But yeah, so I think it's actually pretty impressive to get that dialed in without the like I think the only reason I'm disciplined is because like Penelope has a schedule and I got to take care of her so I got to get my shit together yeah yeah well you are very together though I mean I think of you as a very together person thanks Heather <laughs> I appreciate that you. you guys are very together oh oh, oh man we do a good front we, we put up a really good front <laughs> yeah, that's good. well I just want to say congratulations on getting this work out there it's so awesome and so timely and I'm so proud of you and it's a great movie it's hysterical very inspiring and it's a story that has not been told before on the big screen so you thank you say for the title and when it comes out so we yeah can... will you say the title when it comes out again the title is half magic and it comes out february 23rd in 10 cities and also you it's on demand and you can stream it at your home if you want to watch it at home do you know the cities i think it's la boston seattle san francisco dallas miami new york I'm not sure about New York. That okay. might happen. DC, Austin. Cool. Cool. Yeah, Dallas, Chicago. I'm not sure if I said those. Phoenix. And then people can go to what, halfmagic.com? That's a good question that I should know the answer to. <laughs> well, they can yeah. definitely go to at I am Heather Graham oh, on yeah. Instagram yep. and find out all the information. And then we'll put all the links to it. We'll put the, all the links in the show yeah. notes. Is it helpful for you? Is it more helpful for the film? for more people to go see it in the theater versus to stream it at home? You know, the company makes more money if you buy it at home. But I think it's fun to watch with people. If you live in a city and it's in your city, I think it's fun to go with a group of people. But yeah, either way. Well, that's interesting that they make more money if you stream it at home. So I would just say if you're listening and you want to see the movie, go do both. Just do both. (laughs) You watch it at home and then get a bunch of girlfriends together and go see it in the theater Mm -hmm. and you'll love it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's a good conversation. I just think about like if you had a group of daughters who are a certain age, right? Yeah. Older teens. Yeah. Older teens. This is a good movie to like watch with them and talk about what's going on. Yeah. I agree. I don't know. My mother would have taken us for sure. Well, that's, that's cool. My my parents would not. That's for sure. No. Well, we would watch, you know, growing up or like in college, we would be home for vacations and be watching Sex in the City. And my mom would like pause it and be like, okay, girls, so we need to talk about what's going on in this scene. And like, she would have to give like the feminist, you know, like anti-patriarchy view of what was happening. And then we'd have to have a conversation and then we could like go back to watch. So, so funny. I love it. Oh, yeah. But I agree, Mike. I think it's like if you're an open-minded parent and you want to start having conversations with your girls about like about sexual empowerment, feminine Mm -hmm. empowerment, creative empowerment, and like how to love yourself, I think this movie actually could be a really great jumping off point. 
Yeah, we, and we're going to start with Penelope and all of her friends at day. Just no, it's like there are there's definitely sex scenes yeah. and there's definitely swearing. So if you're and uncomfortable drugs. with that, you know, maybe you're girls. And I think girls. open-minded guys that are, For you sure. know. Oh yeah. Well, I think from a male perspective, it was very helpful. So it's like we talk about the Weinstein Me Too times up like these movements like what you're explaining right now is like what's going on in Hollywood that they won't put females you know, leaders or directors in a place of doing this. So it's it not only because what you talked about with the image of the confusion that happens, where it's like, you want me to be sexy, but then I'm sexy, then I'm a bimbo. Yeah. Like, that's also very confusing for us, like for yeah. guys, because it's like, if you're not confident, like the reality, like these powerful men have been able to get away with all the shit they've been able to get away with is because women, it's like the self-love. I don't want to speak for women themselves. So just coming across, but like, just from a logical perspective, if, if I don't have the empowerment in myself yeah. to like have that self-love, I can very easily be taken advantage. No, it's been insidious in our culture eating into both parties. Right. So like yeah. patriarchy is not about men perpetrating women. Correct. It's about an entire cultural set of viewpoints and a mindset that needs to shift within all of us. So I do want to make that clear because sometimes yeah. when I talk about the patriarchy, people are like, can we stop the man bashing? And I'm like, whoa, I am. That it's has not, not the same thing at all. It's harming yeah. men just as much as it's harming women. It's, just it's, like it's just educational said. for me to like watch how, because like I got a good glimpse of like how your brain works, right? And like <laughs> your thought process and your friends and kind of the stuff you've done, which I've known all of this because I've been a part, a little bit of it with like, we you know, we'll be at your house lighting candles and making wishes and et cetera. And so it's really cool to see that on screen, but also see what like it's like to be your girlfriends together in a, in a tribe, like hanging out in the conversations that take place. Like it's educational because there's going to be things in there where it's like, oh, maybe if a girl keeps coming around and I happen to be doing a lot of weed, but she's not into me smoking pot maybe it's a sign that hey, I should stop. Like if I like her, right. Instead of like, I'm going to go on a spiritual journey. I'll see you in a few months, you know, or something like this, where it's like, it's just one of those pieces where it's just, it's could be self-reflection for myself to say, Oh, well, this is interesting. You know, I'm learning a lot as I go through it. Cause you do Our learn about said, it's like being, going into the ladies room and hearing what all the girls are talking about. That's so true. Fly on the wall. And also, you know what you said about the patriarchy. I think the patriarchy harms men. Because if you look yes. at men and different generations of men, men were not allowed to have feelings. Like they were told, oh, it's not manly for you to have any feelings other than anger. So when could you ever express if you were sad or vulnerable or loving? Like, I feel like patriarchy harms men. Like how, how sure. are men supposed to have intimacy when they can't have any feelings? Correct. Totally. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, and it also, you know, it's like, cause it goes back to the same thing. Like if, the example in Hollywood, like women are doing these things or like what Weinstein was doing is to have power and control and women were going along with it to like get jobs, let's say. Yeah. But like there's also dudes in this organization who are trying to keep a job and they know if they speak up, they're going to lose it. it and might being not be complicit. Right. And being complicit with what's going on. Sure. So it does, it hurts every, it hurts everyone. It absolutely does. Yeah. yeah. But luckily your movie is part of dismantling it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us and everybody listening, go see the movie, see it in your home, see it in the theater, support half magic, share about it. When you go see it, please post on your Instagram, post on Facebook, do an Instagram story, talk about how much you love it because it, everything helps, right? Yeah. Thanks for having me on your podcast, guys. So we love you. I love you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. 
It's B-School time. Mike and I have a beautifully crafted B-School experience with us. And if you're interested in learning more about growing an online business, making money, and impacting the world in a positive way, I highly recommend you check out our friend Marie Forleo's program, B-School. It changed our lives, and that is why we promote it. So you can find out everything about our B-School experience, which is an additional set of education and training and support that you get with B-School over at katenorthrup.com forward slash B-School. Again, that's katenorthrup.com forward slash B-School. One of the things is a backstage pass access to our entire team to learn exactly how we run our seven-figure business. I'm pretty psyched about that one. katenorthrup.com forward slash B-School.